0: We're in the second part of a new series called Renegade Joy, and uh, those of you who were, here, who were here last week got to hear the first part of it. But um, this is just, this is really a great message, and it is a, a core message of everything that, that we teach here. And you heard a little, you heard Joel talk about it in his prayer, and there's a lot of times people come in, they come to Life Point because they want self-help, they want a little bit better life. And maybe you put some of the teachings in Jesus and practice in your life, and, and it will be a little better. But we're not just talking about that. We're talking about something that's supernatural, that comes in on the inside and changes you from there. And so last week, if you were here, you heard Donnie, our lead pastor, talk about how there's a big difference between joy and happiness. That happiness is something that happens on the outside, that's momentary it's circumstantial if you have bad circumstances you can't be happy but if you have good circumstances then you can be happy as long as the circumstances are are such but joy is something that's on the inside joy is something that that is almost like a tank everything else can be raining down around you on the outside but that joy is just steadfast whether things are good or bad on the outside and so that is what This message is about, and not only this message, but the entire book of Philippians, because that's in essence what we're doing, is walking through that book. And so, since we're focusing on the book of Philippians, we're going to have our ushers coming down the aisles right now with Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, this is your time to raise your hand. They will put one in your hand. It is a free gift from us to you. We encourage you to use it. For those of you who did bring your Bibles today, you'll want to turn to Philippians, we're going to be spending our entire time there today. In fact, uh, if you're open to Philippians, open to chapter 2, and just leave that open. Now, we're going to have some other passages that we bring into it, but they're going to pop up on the screen. I wouldn't even turn to them. Just keep it open to Philippians 2. If you have a pen, you can use it to circle words or to write other passages out to the side. But uh, the passage we're dealing with today is a very, very important passage in all of Scripture. It tells us some very uh, interesting and specific things about Jesus, besides focusing on our topic for the day, which happens to be that joy is found in unity. We've been talking about how do you experience this joy working in you. We found that, that the Scriptures tell us that joy, if we want to have this thing on the inside, that it happens when we are united with those who are around us. Paul says, writing to this church in Philippi, He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul says, if you have tasted anything of Christ, if he's working just even in the remotest parts of your life, then take that next step. And make your joy and my joy complete by being united in love and harmony with those that are around you. Now, if you think about it, this is really important because some of the greatest satisfaction that we'll ever experience in life comes when we are united with others. How many of you guys watch the um, uh, World Cup? Anybody watching any the World Cup? I know it's not a big American thing to watch soccer, but uh, probably more than any other sport, it's one where you see the power of teamwork and unity. When I mean, you get a team, especially those that have been together, you know, like their national team, and that's, what, that's all they are. They don't play for all these other club teams. But you watch those guys play, and, and it's almost like mental telepathy. They just know where the other person's going. And if the defense changes, he knows if I kick it here, then this guy's going to run around here. And it's not like they have to, like some football, make a play. They just know, in the moment, fluid, Adjusting and adapting to the environment. But they've done it so long with one another that that it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's teamwork. Maybe you have had a friend, a lifelong friend, that all you guys have to do is just say one word and you start laughing. Or you know what, what the other person's thinking. Or the highest relationship that the scriptures talk about is, is that of marriage. And you know how it describes a marriage relationship? It says that that a married couple is two people who become one. Yeah, I was after the service talking with Rob's father, and it seems like Rob's father always gives me really good analogies after the service. So I'm going to start coming to him before I work on them, <laughs> not after the fact. But he was telling me about uh, a, a principal at one of the schools that he used to teach at who ended up getting Lou Gehrig's disease. And he would go and visit with him and, and hang out with him, and anybody knows that disease it 's horrible it 's depilating it just takes away all your ability to to move talk anything and uh, He remembers going over there and uh, he had this whole entire letter board and the way that he would communicate is he would they would point to a letter, and if that was the right letter, he would blink you know one for yes and two for no and uh, when his sons were there, it was so frustrating because you would have to blink you know up and down again and and, and he'd wave them off and but when his wife was there, she just... And then she'd give an entire paragraph of what he was talking about because they had been married for so long that they were just one. She could just read his thoughts even when he could no longer communicate. See, There's a part of each one of us that longs to be known by somebody else, to be known by the people around us, to be around people that if you did something stupid... It'd be okay because you know that they know you. They know the real you. And they know your warts. And they know the face that you can put on the outside. They know you. We all long for that, to have that kind of unity. And it only comes when we first unite with him. And we unite with his purpose. And then we unite with the others around that he's, he's put in our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we feel that unity aligned with that purpose. There is nothing like it. It results in joy. And that's what Jesus and what Paul wants us to have. So how do you hit this? How do you experience this kind of joy of unity? Well, it begins by not being selfish. You can't always be focused on yourself. You've got to be focused on other people. Paul continues at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This right here is the core of how you have unity with other people. I mean, You realize that, that we all have different roles. We all play different roles, and we all have different personalities. Some of us are naturally leaders. Others of us are followers. Then we have people who like to goof and joke around and, and bring things light. And then we have others that kind of can bring things serious. Then we have different experiences that we've had in our lives, different gifts, different skills that we're better at. And so when you first get, like those soccer teams, when they first come together, they all come with their own little sets of experiences, skills, and whatever. And eventually, they start to find where they fit on that team. And then they start to take a greater role in one area than another. And the guy who's faster is the guy who's doing the breaks. And the guy who can, can defend, he's the person who's playing goalie, you know, or playing on defense. And then suddenly, they work with one another long enough that they just, they start functioning as a team. And the person who's scoring the goals, whenever they, they're they raising them up or people are interviewing them, he's always pointing to the people who set that stuff up, all the other guys on the team, so that everybody shares the glory, because everybody is willing to lift the other person up and not be concerned about their own interests. All right, well, so that's that's how it works. But I think if, if you're like me and you're like other people, it's really hard not to be Selfish. I mean, how how do you do this? How do you make this stuff happen? Well, Paul tells us that we have but to do one thing, to just look to Jesus, to see what Jesus did and to follow him. In fact, we need to to have the same attitude that Jesus had when he was living on this earth and when he was walking around. It says in Philippians 2, uh, 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul says it's simply this, have the same attitude that Jesus had. Jesus was in very nature God, and he was able to lay that aside. Now, this passage right here is a very important passage, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and we're going to unpack it. But the first part is is really kind of out there. It says that he was in very nature God. Maybe you're coming here today, and you've always known that Jesus was a good teacher, excellent teacher, but the idea of him being God, that's that's a little foreign. That's a little hard to believe. But that is what the scriptures are claiming there. It's saying that, that this historical man named Jesus, who had a birthday, 1 A.D., also died, 33 A.D., that he actually pre-existed that. fact that he wasn't even a created being like you and I. John chapter 1 says the same thing. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. He, meaning Jesus, was with God in the beginning. In fact, then it goes on to say that through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So the scriptures say that Jesus actually existed at the very creation. In fact, everything that that we see was actually created through Jesus. That Jesus is 100% god now for those of us who have grown up in the church we fully understand that we've been taught that again and again and, and it's understandable you have but to read the scriptures and you read the things that jesus did and they're absolutely amazing he walked on water and he knew things and he and he was able to heal people and perform miracles right i mean that's something only could god could only a god could do right but see there's something that we forget that he was also a man. He was 100% a man. A man just like you and I. And that more than that, whenever we see Jesus doing anything in the scriptures, he did it as a man. Not as God. Now I've got another passage for you and this one's, it's kind of out there. But it's a passage when Jesus' ministry first began. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. All right, I have a lot of problems with this passage. I mean, first of all, Jesus getting baptized? What's up with that? Now, I understand why we get baptized. Baptism literally means to be immersed into water. And it's this picture of, of us having all of the sins on us and we get baptized into that water and all of the sins wash away and we come up and we are brand new. And not only are we brand new, but now we're a child of God. And and he literally gives us his Holy Spirit to reside with inside of us. And then we're able to do all kinds of great works, not through our own means, but through the power of the Spirit that God has laid on us. But why would Jesus need a Spirit? Why would Jesus need to get baptized? Why even go through all of this? Not only that, do you know how many miracles Jesus did before this moment in Scripture, before he was baptized? Zero. No miracles were performed by Jesus before this moment. You see, Jesus, when we look at him, sometimes we can get a little, we go, oh, well, you know, yeah, it's one thing to have his attitude. It's one thing to be like Jesus. But it's pretty easy to be like, you know, to to do these kind of things. If you're God, right? If you can snap your fingers and just make anything happen, not that hard. But it says that even though he was in very nature God, he made himself Nothing. He gave up the ability to function like God. And so then that means that everything that Jesus did, he did through the Spirit, just like you and I would. If Jesus wanted to communicate with his Father God, who he is also of the same nature, he had to communicate the same way you and I would. And that's why we see Jesus again and again, slipping away out into the the night to pray to God, sometimes staying up all night long to pray to God. Because if Jesus was going to experience God in his life, he had to go through the same means that you and I did. And that means that all the miracles that he performed, all those things are things that you and I could do if God called upon us to do them through that same spirit, that Holy Spirit. Now, I know for some of you this almost sounds like blasphemy, but Jesus said this very same thing. I mean, In John, Jesus is talking to this crowd, and he says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And then a little further down at verse 30, he says, By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Do you see why this is so important? That we understand how how Jesus functioned? Jesus isn't just some high and mighty up on a pedestal. God came down to earth to our level. Jesus was just like you and me. When he faced temptations, he faced them just like you and I would. And they felt just as bad, actually worse, because we give in to the temptation, right? And he never did. He suffered the full torrent of what it means to be a human being and to live out the kind of life that God called us to live, called him to live. And so when when the scriptures say, have this attitude, we can do it. And so the next question is, what is the attitude then that Jesus had when he was on earth? Well, he was a servant. At any moment, he could have grasped that God again and and, and taken on the full things of, of, of the nature of God. But he chose instead to be a servant. Paul says at verse 5, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Now, Jesus did this. And others around us are doing this and need to be doing this. And I'll tell you, I think the, the greatest example is somebody who's in our own midst. And what I am about to tell you right now cannot leave this room, okay? I'm telling you, I don't want it is it does not leave. Do not mention this. But Donnie Williams, our lead pastor, is an example of this kind of servanthood. You know, if you get here early enough on a Sunday morning, you'll see Donnie over here helping to set up, helping to put stage together, working like everybody else, trying to make this thing happen on a Sunday morning. Here recently at Wakefield we ended up Uh, moving from one wing of the theater to the other. And every time I'm on stage and I'm looking up, staring at those lights, I I get this picture of Donnie on a ladder with his head up in the ceiling, rewiring things. When I first got here and uh, my wife and I were moving in with our family and uh, and the truck pulls up to our our new place, there comes Donnie along with some of the other staff. And suddenly Donnie's toting in my, my sofa and all my furniture into my house. There's not too many places where I've been where my boss has come and helped me move in. And I've seen him do that again for people who are leadership residents. In fact, we get to the point right here where we have to tell him, Donnie, you can't do that stuff because we need you over here. But he can't help himself because he has the heart of a servant. And see, that's really what also gives him the ability to lead, to have people follow him. Because it's a lot easier to follow somebody who you know is always there looking out for you, always trying to serve you. Service is a funny thing. There's a lot of us who say, I'd like to serve. And I'll serve as long as I don't have to wake up too early in the morning, find something that I don't have to do that with, right? Or I'll serve as, as long as I don't have to be committed for any long period of time. I'll serve if it's convenient and if it's something that I would like to do. But that's not true servanthood. The servant is the one who looks around and says, ah, here is where there's a need. I will step in and I will fill that need. I will do what it takes to build up and to lift up those who are around me. That is what Jesus did. But not only was Jesus a servant, he was humble and obedient. God obedient. It's a funny thing to say. But that's what he was. Paul picks up again at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility and obedience is what Jesus did. It's what we're to mimic. In fact, in Ephesians 5 and 6, we get this entire picture of how we as Christians are to treat one another. And in this passage comes my favorite, my all-time favorite passage in the scriptures. It's Ephesians five twenty two. It says, "Wives submit to your husbands, as unto the Lord." Is that not a great passage? Seriously, how how many men? You agree? Don't raise your hands. You get in a lot of trouble. Okay. Now think about that. It says, "Wives submit to your husbands." I would have been happy with that. And then it continues. Well, how should the wife submit to the husband? Well, as unto the Lord. So basically, ladies, just you know, treat your husbands like they're God. How awesome is that? Now unfortunately, this passage, though, is quickly followed by the worst passage in all of the scriptures. In Ephesians 5:25 it says, "Husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her." Now, I would have been a lot happier if it just said, "Husbands love your wives," because that would be kind of general, you know I could kind of,, yeah, you know, love your wife. Yeah, I love her, you know. But then he had to go and say, "Just like Christ loved the church." I mean, do you realize how bad that is? How often was was Christ putting his own needs above those that, that, his disciples? Show me in the passage where he did that. Not only was he always concerned about them, always lifting up them, always putting up with all their antics and all their issues, but then when they were willing to betray him, he died for them. So, do you see how this kind of how that works out. Like if I were to go out and suddenly get a raise, you know, or, 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 or some type of bonus, bonus would be a better picture, right? And, and so at the end of the year, I, you know, I, my garage needs a new workbench. I could really do some work in there. But because I'm the boss, we're going to redecorate the living room <laughs> because the living room always needs to be redecorated. And if we had any money left over, then we'd end up going on a shopping street because my wife never has anything to wear, a closet, and there's nothing there. And, and because I'm the boss, we would do that. And at the end of the day, because I'm the boss, we would go and rent a romantic comedy. We would take that home, we'd watch that movie, and at the end, because I'm the boss, I would be sharing my feelings with my wife. You know? And at the end of that, because I'm the boss, then she's going to end up telling me how everything went in her life and all the issues she's dealing with. And even though I could fix those at in an instant, because I'm the boss, I'm not going to fix it. That I'm just going to say, honey, that's okay, and and I hear you, I understand, I sympathize, and I empathize. You see, the rest of Ephesians, it it follows the same way. It it talks about children, how you to obey your parents, but then parents are to look out for the interests of their children and to not be overbearing. And it talks about slaves and masters, or for us, workers and bosses, it says, hey, if you're a worker, you need to obey your boss. But then the bosses need to be looking out for the interests of those that they serve. This is the picture of the scriptures and how we are to function. So, what's the hierarchy? We all submit to one another. We all must humble ourselves and become obedient. Whenever I hear this stuff, this is kind of those passages of scripture where you go, okay, this is where, you know, it tells you to do these things and and you know they're good things or they're the right thing, but they're so hard to do. It's kind of like a cross to bear, you know, to to humble yourself and to serve others. But we got to remember that there is. A flip side of this. Remember, the whole message is how you get to experience joy. Listen to this image from uh, from Peter. He says, "All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another." I love that picture. It's like humility. You just clothe. Have you ever met somebody that's been clothed in humility? You know, maybe maybe they they have a doctorate, or maybe they have some expertise, or maybe they they're very wealthy, or they they have some some type of power, prestige thing, right? and you never find out about it. You have to like pull this stuff out of them because they just are clothed in humility. It says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. How are you ever going to get ahead if you're humbling yourself and just being obedient? How are you ever going to get ahead if you're not fighting for that next promotion? What if you actually helped somebody else to get that promotion? Because he the other person was equally qualified. That's no way to get ahead in life. But it says here that God opposes the proud. And so those that are always seeking their own anyways, God's going to end up opposing them. But yet he's always looking for those to lift up, those who have humbled themselves. Paul continues in in Philippians at verse 9. He says, Because Jesus did all these things, because he was humble and obedient and a servant, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the picture Jesus, who lived a life as a man, humbled himself and served like no other human being has ever served. And because of that, God lifted him up and gave him the name that is above every other name. God is constantly out. His eye is always roving over this world of ours, looking for people who are humbling themselves, looking to those who, who are just laying their future at his feet and trusting in him. And to those, he will lift them up, that they might be able to do even greater good. I mean, that's God's MO. That's the way he operates. Read your Bibles. Look look at the story of Joseph, the youngest of his 12 brothers. Then they sold him into slavery into Egypt. And you don't ever give out. You don't get out when you're a slave in Egypt. When you're a slave, you're a slave. And yet God worked through those means and lifted him up to the point that he was the number two ruler and, and only Pharaoh ahead of him In the most powerful country in the entire world at that time. Or how about the story of Daniel? You've heard of Daniel in the lion's den. Well, Daniel was was just this young boy, and the Babylonians came in, and they captured all of the nation of Israel and dispersed many of them, took others to to be trained up and be servants. And Daniel, in that environment, that hostile environment, was lifted up to the point that he was uh, one of the, the most valued leaders, not only for the Babylonians, but also for the Persians when they came to power. Or how about the the story of David? All of us have heard of David, the lowly shepherd boy, youngest of his brothers again, the one who you would see least likely to succeed. And yet he goes and defeats this giant Goliath and eventually becomes the king over the nation of Israel. And the, the scriptures are just replete with story after story of God finding people who humble themselves, lower themselves, And then he comes along and he lifts them up. But you don't have to wait for the moment that God lifts you up. Because the moment that you start investing in those people around you, the moment that you start living the life of a servant, humbling yourself, in that moment you begin to feel joy. A joy that nobody else can take away from you, that's your circumstances. In fact, the odd thing is is that a lot of times the circumstances that are negative actually kind of spin to the positive that in, you end up looking back on those moments that you humbled yourself as the turning point in your life. Also, that God can give us joy and that when we can be a part of this unity he's called the church. Now, every week here at Life Point, we focus on Jesus and we remember him in the taking of the Lord's Supper. And here in just a little bit, Actually, our, our, our ushers could come down now if they wanted to. They could begin to, to bring these down. And when they do, if some of you are unfamiliar with this, you're not sure what, what taking the Lord's Supper is, you're welcome to let that pass you by. But I'll say this. For those of you who still have your Bibles open, please keep them open. Because there's something that happened the night of the Lord's Supper that connects to what we just talked about. Do you see in your Bible how, how the passage that we just read in Philippians is in, um, is in stanzas like Poetry? See, scholars believe that that this was actually an early hymn of the church. We just got done getting to, to sing worship songs. Well, this was probably a worship song put to music. And not only that, but this worship song, most scholars believe, is literally inspired in taking from the night of the Lord's Supper. Before Jesus got his disciples down and before they had the supper, they came in and they were going to do the regular thing that always happened when you had been traveling all day long, the lowest person, maybe a slave woman, would come along and wash the feet of the men in the room, and then they would sit down and and have the supper. But in this night, Jesus took off his garment, and standing there in his underwear, he picked up a towel and a basin of water, and he began to wash the feet of his disciples, on this night, the night when he was going to be betrayed, Jesus took on the form of a slave woman. And as he was washing the feet of his disciples, he came to Peter, and Peter said, Lord, there's no way you're washing my feet, because you are Lord, you are not a slave woman. And I love you, and you, I honor you too much. But Jesus insisted that he wash Peter's feet. And then we read here at the very end what Jesus did after he had finished. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, He put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. "'Do you understand what I have done for you?' he asked them. "'You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. "'Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, "'you also should wash one another's feet. "'I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you.'" "'No, I I tell you the truth. "'No servant is greater than his master.'" nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He says, I I understand that the person who's answering the phones at the desk is not greater than the CEO. The CEO is is in a greater place. Do you see what I've done for you? I, your CEO, have gone and I've answered the phone. I've taken on the role of the receptionist. I want you to do that for others. Constantly lower yourself and lift others up. Today, as we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to do something. You can take it on your own time after you've prayed and after you've meditated as the song's being played. When the right time is, you take it. But before you do that, I want you to ask God to give you a name and a face and an act. A name and a face of someone who you need to serve this week an act that you can do for them. And when you go to God and you ask him this prayer in earnestness, a name's going to pop up. An act will, will happen. And then what you need to do this week is you need to do it. Let it be the first step that you take of being a servant and humbling yourself. And then experience his joy working inside of you as you take on the attitude of Christ in your
1: Father, we come to you this morning. There are some here who have been chasing joy for so long, only to find it fleeting, to be that happiness that Mark was speaking about. Lord, in times now, for those to embrace you, otherwise, we're doing the self help thing, and that we reach the end of our rope so quickly. I pray today for those that are here who are not united with you. The joy starts when we finally surrender ourselves to you and allow ourselves to be united to you and let you lead our lives. And there are others who are here who simply need to stop ourselves about ourselves because our joy will not be complete until we start to love on and to serve those that are around us to lead doesn't mean that we step up it means we step down and we help those around us and your son Jesus exemplifies that he came down from above to be and sacrifice himself for us And so this morning father i pray that we take this message and we truly go after joy by starting and strengthening our relationship with you and then taking steps of faith to those people that we were challenged by this morning to reach out and perform whatever it is you're calling us to do and we do that in confidence and thank you that we can follow your lead in your son's name i pray Amen.